Hello. Hello. I'm Sarah. I'm Casey. And we are Relatively Relatively Dark. Dark. today i'm good how are you i'm tired i'm tired too (laughs) i'm always tired i stay tired yeah it's a nice day today it's like 80 something degrees outside yes why did i almost say it feels delicious outside (laughs) i don't don't know because i'm tired well part of that's just you being you so well (laughs) even though it's a nice day outside today I'm going to bring you down. Okay. I do want to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this one. It does involve a child. Mm. So if you're sensitive to that or you don't want to listen, that's fine. We'll see you later. Just be warned. It's rough and it's about a child. Is it graphic? Not necessarily graphic. It's just really messed up. Okay. And sight. So, we are going to talk about Candace Newmaker. Okay. She was born November 19th in 1989 to Angela Marie Elmore. Everybody called her Angie. And Angela was only 18 whenever she had Candace. Okay. Two years earlier, she had a baby boy when she was still in foster care when she was 16. Mm. She gave him up for adoption knowing that he he didn't have a chance with her. Right. She just wasn't prepared to raise a kid. Mary, which is Angie's mother, she was abandoned by her mother. Okay. Before she was even old enough to be in school. So when she was a toddler, her mom abandoned her. And one of her earliest memories was when she was caught eating from the neighbor's trash. Whoa. Yeah, so it's really sad. Man. Uh, and she was a toddler. It's a cycle there. Yeah, uh, she spent the rest of her childhood in foster homes, 17 altogether. And this is the girl's... Grandma. Grandmother. Yes, her mother's mom. She's the only one, apparently, that didn't abandon somebody. Well, um, she got married when she was 16. She had two children, Angie Mm -hmm. and Albert. Mm -hmm. Uh, The marriage didn't last long, and she ended up giving... Angie to social services because she was living in her car at the time and she didn't want Angie living like that. Not that that's not the right thing to do in some situations, but it's been all of them. Yeah. Man. My bad. I'm sorry, y'all. It's okay. That's your catchphrase. Uh, My bad. Apparently. (laughs) Um, Angie lived in 10 different foster homes and two group homes Uh, One that was for emotionally disturbed youth. Uh, In one of those homes, she was fed dog food as a punishment. Nothing I read said what she was being punished for, but not that it matters. Yeah. She was considered a problem child because she was always angry. And this is Angie? Yes. Okay. And her outbursts eventually became violent. But Angie always wanted a family, and she wanted to prove that she could do it right. Her mom didn't do it right. Her mom's mom didn't do it right. Right. She was going to break the cycle. Um, By age 17, Angie was married to a man named Todd Elmore, and he was six years older, so he was 23 years old. 
Angie would later say that she didn't love Todd and she married him to get away from her mother, which Uh, is not the best reason to get married. uh, Yeah. (laughs) But Todd had a criminal record. Nothing huge, but like driving without a license, running from the cops. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Lincoln County Sheriff. Lincoln County. Yeah, this is in North Carolina, by the way. Okay, sorry. I did not say that earlier. The Lincoln County Sheriff said... He couldn't make it a month without lying, stealing, and raising a ruckus. And she also referred to him as a twerp. <laughs> a twerp. Yeah. Because Angie wanted a family, she was thrilled when she found out that she was pregnant with Candace. She played classical music, and she read stories, and she heard, you know, that doing all that stuff is going to make your baby smart. Mm-hmm. Angie's stepdad, David, which is Candace's step-grandfather. Right. He chose Candace's middle name, which is Tiara, because he thought of her as a precious jewel. I thought that was sweet. And she called him Pawpaw. And he said Candace was someone who didn't have to love you, and they loved you anyway. Uh, He read her stories. Goldilocks and the Three Bears was her favorite. Um, Angie and Todd had two more children together. Chelsea was born in 1991, and Michael was born in 1992. Both Angie and Todd, they had trouble keeping a job. They moved around a lot, just like Mary did whenever she was little. They struggled with money. Money. <laughs> they struggled with money, and they often lived in trailer parks, rundown apartments, bad environments, which meant the kids were subjected to those bad environments. Not that there's anything wrong with trailers or apartments, but just the ones they were living in, they weren't yeah. well kept. Right. Uh, David, Pawpaw, he said their environment was not stable. There have been times when there was some level of neglectfulness. They were in situations they shouldn't have been. But he also said all of these children, to my knowledge, were always fed, always clothed, always housed. And Mary, who's married to David, Angie's mom, Mm -hmm. said they were always loved. Police apparently responded to a lot of domestic disturbances. Mm Mm-hmm. Disturbance calls at the Elmore house. The first time the police responded was apparently for child abuse. Uh, Someone noticed that Chelsea, which is Candace's little sister, had scrapes across her back. Mm. But Angie said that the trailer they were living in at the time had a broken latch on the back door and that she had fell through it, fell through Mm. the door. So it was an accident. Okay. There was also one instance when Todd was charged with assaulting Angie. Okay. But the case was dropped. Candace celebrated her third birthday in a battered women's shelter. Uh, they said that even at a young age, Candace had a strong personality. They said she was rebellious but tender-hearted, and she couldn't stand to see anyone cry, but sometimes she had a temper. Mm-hmm. Uh, she apparently mothered her siblings and would put herself between Angie and Todd when they were arguing. Man. Which, that's a lot for... That's a lot for any kid, but... Yeah, especially a three-year-old. Yeah. Uh, At the time Candace was five, her, Chelsea, and Michael were all put into foster care. Uh, David and Mary considered taking them, but with all of them being under the age of six, they really didn't think that they could give them the time and attention that they needed. Right. Uh, David later said, I've beaten myself up over it as the years go by, but I told myself they could have a better life. On June 14th in 1996, at six years old, 
Candace was adopted by Jean Newmaker and given the new name Candace Elizabeth Newmaker. Why didn't they keep her middle name? Not that I think that you know that. That's just weird. Sorry. Jean, her adoptive mom, her middle name is Elizabeth. Okay. So she gave her her middle name. Okay. A little background about about Jean. Mm -hmm. Background about Jean. Uh, She graduated high school with honors. She was a member of the student council, the French club, the Latin club, the ski club, and she participated in school plays. My goodness. People who knew her described her as serious, pleasantly social, not a snob, and not a partier. Okay. She got a master's degree in nursing from the University of Virginia and began working as a nurse practitioner specializing in pediatric gastroenterology and nutrition. All right. So it seemed like she was pretty well-rounded, good head on her shoulders, but she definitely experienced some family drama slash trauma, whatever. Mm -hmm. Her uncle was killed in a race car crash when she was three. Okay. When she was in college... Her dad started getting DUIs and was eventually ordered to check into a rehab center. And some people think that his brother's death, which was her uncle, it was her dad's brother, kind of put him on that path. Right. And he was the one who identified his body when his brother died. Man. So just that would take a toll on him. Right. Um, While he was at the rehab center, her dad meets a woman named Fanny, and he eventually leaves his wife, Jean's mom, To be with Fanny. And they get divorced about a year later when Jean is 28 years old. Her mom, Dorothy, is later diagnosed with cancer and she passes away in 1986. Mm -mm. And her dad, John, succumbs to lung disease just a year later. So she went through quite a bit too. So now, back to 1996, she adopts Candace. She brings her home. She lives in a really nice Five-bedroom home on a corner lot with a fenced-in yard. Nice neighborhood. And she takes two months off of work to be with Candace. Wow. And by all accounts, she was super mom. Yeah. Uh, She enrolled Candace in one of the top public schools in the county, Easley Elementary School. And the teachers described her as a quirky, bright little girl who is easy to love. Mm. But on the first day of school, Ray Albin... He was her teacher, her first grade teacher. Candace was standing outside the door, and he heard her say, there's a boy in there, and I don't like boys. And Jean told her, that's not a boy, that's a man, and he's your teacher. I didn't really see anything else about that, but that quote kind of stuck out to me. Like, it was just weird. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping there's no meaning behind that. She was just like, that's a boy, I don't like boys. You know what I mean? But um, Ray Albin said about Candace, she wasn't a behavior problem at all. And she was apparently drawn to the special education kids and the kids Aww. that were, like, in wheelchairs or disabled. Yeah. And Albin said Candace would want, Candace would want to wheel them around. Aww. So she seemed like she's a really sweet kitten. Yeah. Uh, she had a love of horses. She would draw them. She'd read about them. And Jean enrolled her in equestrian classes when she was in second grade. She also did gymnastics, swimming, and ballet, and they went on different vacations. Wow. She ended up having, you know, a tight group of friends. They would go skating. They'd have slumber parties. So it seems like she's getting this life that they wanted for her. One time when she was student of the week, she made a poster about her life, and there was a spot where the student would write about their family, and Candace wrote about Chelsea and Michael. 
mm-hmm. her little brother and little sister. Um, Jean and Candace went to the local Catholic church. Candace was baptized. Also a member of the Faith Formations, a group of kids who take uh, catechism classes every Sunday. Okay. Basically, it's like Bible study sessions every Sunday, okay. something like that. The neighbors, their neighbors, talked about how well-mannered and responsible Candace was. She'd ride her bike, her little pink bike, around <laughs> town. She'd walk the dogs. Um, and she sent a Get Well Soon card to an elderly neighbor after they had fell and been Aww. hospitalized. Uh, she tutored a little girl named Victoria in reading and math. And one day she tells Victoria, you're lucky you're with family. Your mama loves you. Hmm. And Victoria didn't get what she was saying. And uh, Candace tells her, that means Jean is my mom now because she wanted me. I came from my new mama's heart. Sometimes mamas don't want their children. Man. And all of this came from a neighbor who allegedly overheard that conversation. Yeah. So despite this new life and all the stuff that she has and the friends, that trauma is still there. Right. Which it would be. Yeah. Uh, At this point, Candace is 10 years old. So she's been with Jean for four to five-ish years. Okay. Jean confides in her friends, and she tells them that she's having a hard time with Candace and that she's troubled. Okay. So she takes Candace to see a pediatrician who's studying children with attention deficit disorder. Okay. I guess she thought Candace was suffering from attention deficit disorder. Apparently. The pediatrician, I'm going to call them Dr. Ave. Because okay. their last name, I tried to look up yeah. a pronunciation of it, but uh-huh. there's just, I can't say it. There's just no way. Okay. But this doctor said, this kid has been through a lot. I don't think she was a normal happy kid. She could smile and be real cute, then could be mean. It was like having a normal 18-year-old adolescent in your house. She said she was stingy with affection. There was a frostiness about her. But she thought that this was a defense mechanism, you know, Mm -hmm. because she had been through so much. Right. Um, Jean took Candace to other traditional therapists, experts in depression and PTSD, two other doctors at Duke. So she's looking for an answer. Yeah. In my opinion, she's looking for a diagnosis of something. Yeah. So she can, I guess, figure out. She's something wrong with her. She can figure out how to help her, I guess. Yeah. So throughout all of this, Candace is prescribed an antidepressant an antipsychotic, and an amphetamine. Am- amphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> you said amphetamine or... Amphetamine. Or amphetamine. Something. Amphetamine. That's how you say it, right? Yeah. Amphetamine? Okay. Apparently, none of these help. Okay. So then, Jean hears about attachment disorder. And according to an article I read on medicalnewstoday.com, okay. attachment disorder is... A type of mood or behavioral disorder that affects a person's ability to form and maintain relationships. These disorders typically develop in childhood. They can result when a child is unable to have a consistent emotional connection with a parent or primary caregiver. Wow. So Jean finds a website for a group called ATTACH, which stands for the Association for the Treatment and Training of the Attachment of Children. Okay. And she goes to a national conference in Alexandria, Virginia in 1999 for this attach group. Okay. Here is where she met a therapist named Bill Goble. He had her fill out a form outlining Candace's behavior. 
And Bill Goble later said that Jean had already decided that Candace had attachment disorder. And even though he never met with Candace, he determined her case was fairly severe. Okay. Just by what she wrote on a piece of paper, I guess, and talking to her. So he recommends that she goes to see Connell Watkins in Evergreen, Colorado. Watkins was an unlicensed psychotherapist. Okay. I'm not really liking this. Yeah. It just seems like something's up. Something's weird. It just doesn't feel right. No. Well, you're not wrong. So this... and Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. And the fact that... I don't remember. David was her grandfather. Her step-grandfather, yeah. Step-grandfather made the comment. If he would have known, he would have kept her pretty much... I'm a little scared. Okay, keep going. Sorry. We'll get there. That's my speculation so far. So, Connell Watkins worked with Dr. Foster Klein, and he theorized that attachment disorder can be traced back to infancy. When you're an infant, everything's a crisis. You're needing food, needing your diaper changed, when you're in pain. And if your parents didn't tend to those needs, the part of your brain that tells you to trust people never fully develops. Hmm. That was his theory. Okay. And they believe that, you know, these things lead to the children becoming cunning and dangerous. And in some cases, they constantly lie. They have no conscience. Hmm. And Dr. Klein believed that holding therapy was a good course of treatment. Okay. Holding therapy is when the child lays on their parent's lap or the therapist's lap or whoever And their arms and their legs are restrained. They're held down. And when they try to struggle or fight it, the parent or whoever's lap they're in, they tighten their grip. And basically the goal is to show the child that they can be controlled but still feel safe and know that they're safe. Okay. But they're being controlled. It's mixed feelings about that. Well, on January 20th in 2000, Jean signed a contract. Okay. She'd pay $7,000 for a two-week rebirthing therapy. And this contract was between her and Connell Watkins. The unlicensed therapist. Jean said that Candace's behavior at home was assaultive, but she never gave any specifics. So was she really acting like I got up one day and she did this. And she said this to me and she threw this. You know what I mean? Like there was no... Yeah. She didn't say anything specific. Candace's therapy began on April 10th. Jean stopped giving her her ADD medication and the antidepressant, but they also doubled her dosage of Respiradol, Risperdal, okay, which is a calming medication. And Jean said it was to suppress her assaultive behavior. But again, no specifics. Uh, Watkins office manager, Britta St. Clair, is who gave Candace her medication. Odd side note, St. Clair's fiance was a man named Jack McDaniel, and Candace was told to call him Daddy Jack. Okay. Weird. Yeah. She was told to call him that? Yes. So you go to see this doctor, and this doctor has an assistant. And the assistant's husband... You're supposed to call daddy? Yeah. The, well, office manager, assistant, whatever. That person's fiance. You're a patient and you're supposed to call them daddy Jack. Whatever. Yes. Yeah, so. All right. 
McDaniel, this is the last time I'm saying this, quote unquote, Daddy Jack, mm-hmm. uh, he was going to be paid $700 to write the report on Candace after the two weeks of her therapy. What's his occupation? Mind you, he had no medical or training in therapy. Exactly. Why is he <laughs> roped into the What the heck? Um, a Ooh, week wait. into her therapy, they had Candace participate in compression therapy. Wrapped in a sheet, you know, from like her neck down, shoulders down, whatever, her head mm-hmm. was sticking out. They had her lay on the floor, and they put a cushion on each side of her, and then Jean laid across the cushions on her back, kind of like in a cross. Mm-hmm. So if she's laying this way, she's laying Yeah, I get what vertical I, and horizontal, whatever. Yeah. Perpendicular to each other. That's the word. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um this session lasted for three hours. Wrapped up in the blanket and Jean laying across her back. After which Candace so was So she was laying on her stomach? Yes. Candace Candace was on her stomach. Yes. Okay. So, after three hours of this, Candace is told to crawl to the chair where Jean is sitting and lie on her arms like a baby and let Jean feed her from a plate. Candace did as she was told, and Jean apparently started bawling tears of joy because the therapy was working. She was starting to get that connection to her that she hadn't felt. Okay. So, now we're going to talk about April 18th. It 2000. Is- Yes. Okay. It is 9.35 in the morning, and Candace is at Dr. Watkins' house. <laughs> Julie Ponder is another therapist, and that's who is in the room with Candace at this time, at so 9.35. So not the Watkins or whatever. Right. The camera is rolling because this is a therapy session, so a lot of times they do record right. all that stuff. And Ponder, she talks to Candace about being reborn. She tells her being a baby is hard, being born is hard, and she tells her that you must scream and cry because that's how a baby does it. Then, you must look for your mother and reach out for her from the womb. She also says you will have plenty of air to breathe. So, the outline of what they have planned for this therapy session. Candace is going to be wrapped up tight in a sheet. And that sheet will represent the womb. And she has to work hard and like wriggle herself out to be reborn. So she has to do it. Yes. That's not how it works when you're born though. Ponder tells her, you're going to go through the birth canal. While you're in the womb, you'll have plenty of air to breathe. Okay. At 944, so this is nine minutes later, Ponder, she lays a queen-sized flannel sheet on the floor Candace lays on the sheet in the fetal position, and Ponder wraps the sheet tightly around her, head to toe. Okay. And the four corners of the sheet are, like, wrapped together at the top of her head. So her head's covered everything, head to toe. This is when Watkins comes in and places four pillows over Candace, kind of like a tent, two on one side, two on the other. Also present during this session are Jean Newmaker, her adoptive mom, mm-hmm. Jack McDaniel. The guy with no credentials whatsoever. Yeah, and Britta St. Clair. Watkins, St. Clair, McDaniel, and Ponder lean against Candace, and Ponder is beside Candace's head, and she holds onto the sheet 
the four corners of the sheet tightly in her hand that's mm-hmm. wrapped around Candace's head. Jean is sitting above Candace's head, and she's supposed to come out at that point from the head. She's That's where Candace is supposed to come out. And Jean is told, you know, this is where you talk to her. You talk to her through the top of the sheet. Okay. The four grown adults with a combined weight of 673 pounds start pushing on Candace, who weighs 70 pounds. Okay. Keep in mind, this is a 10-year-old little girl. Yeah. 673 pounds of pressure on her. This is when I'm going to talk a little bit about what was said during this quote-unquote therapy session. Okay. So this whole thing was recorded because, you know, it's therapy session. Yeah. The tape was never released. You'll understand why very shortly. Mm. But there is a transcript of the tape. I will link it in the show notes. Yeah. I just want to go over just a few like bullet points in the transcript. Okay. Because it's easier to kind of just say what was said instead of explaining it. Right. A few minutes into the session, Watkins says, If the baby doesn't decide to be born, she will die. When the baby decides to be born, it's a wonderful thing. And Ponder says, So little baby, are you ready to be born? And Candace says, "Uh Uh-huh. Ponder, come out head first. You have to push really hard with your feet. If you stay in there, you're going to die, and your mommy's going to die. Eight minutes and 42 seconds into this, mm-hmm. Candace says, Who's sitting on me? I can't do it. Watkins tells her, Sometimes it takes 18 hours to be born. Nine minutes and 36 seconds into it, Candace is screaming, and she says, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. 10 minutes and 16 seconds. Candace says, whoever is pushing on my head, it's not helping. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. It's too dark under here. Please quit pushing on my head. I can't do it. Somebody's sitting on top of me. My goodness. About a minute later, she says, I can't do it. I'm going to die. Ponder says, do you want to be reborn or do you want to stay in there and die? Oh, my gosh. 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Candace says, quit pushing on me. Please quit squishing my legs. I'm going to die now. And Ponder says, do you want to die? Candace says, no, but I'm about to. She says, please, please, I can't breathe. I can't do it anymore. Please quit pushing on me. I need some help. Help me, please. After 16 minutes and 8 seconds, Candace says, can you let me have some oxygen You mean like you want me to die for real? And Ponder says, "Uh uh-huh. Candace says, die right now and go to heaven. And Ponder says, go ahead and die right now. For real, for real. Oh my gosh. Candace tells them she's sick. And Watkins says, just go ahead and die. It's easier. It takes a lot of courage to be born. Candace ends up vomiting and using the bathroom on herself. About 40 minutes into it, Ponder says she gets to be stuck in her own puke and poop. What? Watkins says, uh-huh, it's her own life, quitter. What? 40 minutes and one second, Candace says, no. And this is the last word they hear from her. 
The so-called adults after this continue calling her a quitter and Watkins eventually says, let's talk to the twerp. They unwrap Candace after almost an hour and 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So this is roughly 30 minutes since they last heard her speak. And Watkins says, oh, there she is sleeping in her vomit. What? Candace isn't breathing and her face is blue. Jean and Ponder start CPR, and Watkins calls 911 at 10.56 that morning. They do get a pulse, and she makes it through the night on life support at a children's hospital. But at 9 a.m. the next day, Candace dies from brainstem, herniation, and cerebral edema brought on by mechanical asphyxiation. My goodness. That's awful. Did these people go to jail? Did they get the death penalty? Please tell me something. Justice, please. Before I tell you that, their claim is they had no intention of killing her. They didn't know that she was dead, basically, until they unwrapped her. So their for real, for real, yes, die was just metaphorical? You can use that defense until she says, do you want me to die for real? And they say, "Uh uh-huh. For real. Like, die and go to heaven? And they say, yeah, Mm -hmm. for real, for real. Um, Watkins and Ponder, they were convicted of reckless child abuse resulting in death and sentenced to 16 years in prison. St. Clair and McDaniel, they took a plea deal. They got 10 years of probation for criminally negligent child abuse, and they had to serve 1,000 hours of community service. Watkins, who was sentenced to 16 years... Mm -hmm. She was paroled in 2008. She served about seven years of her 16-year sentence. Jean Newmaker, Candace's adoptive mom, she pled guilty to negligent child abuse resulting in death, no jail time, and she had to serve 400 hours of community service. I've never felt like the sentencing for child cases, I've never felt like it was harsh enough, ever. Mm -mm. And basically... The 16 years that they did get, Watkins and Ponder, that was the minimum. It was 16 to 45 or 48 years, and they gave them the minimum because they didn't think that their intention was to kill her. And Jean, she wasn't the one actually participating in the pressure that caused her to die of asphyxiation. Yeah. And they pretty much thought she was just a victim of, like, quack psychiatry. Yeah. Man. And her her birth parents, like her biological parents, they didn't find out that she had passed until, I think, five months, a little over five months after her funeral. My goodness. Yeah. The mom's out. Watkins is out. The other two. Do you have any information on what they're doing now? I know that Jean is just, like, to herself. She doesn't talk to nobody. She doesn't talk to... She, there's, like, sign on her door that says, no journalists or journalists mm-hmm. go away. Like, I know you don't need to judge a parent on how they choose to try and help their child because you don't know the situation and stuff. But I'm sorry, you you sought out a diagnosis and you finally got one that you thought fit and you take them to somebody who's not even licensed to be doing what they're doing to your child? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's my soapbox. If there was even a diagnosis that needed to be made anyway. Exactly. And from all the neighbors... At school. The teachers, mm-hmm. the students, 
the pastor at the church that taught her her catechism classes. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying that right. I but none is. of them could think of any instance where Candace showed any of that assaultive behavior. I know that there's some kind of disease where, like, you make people you care about sick to take care of them. Munchausen's by proxy. Oh, yeah. I'll be the same thing because she didn't, I don't think she did anything to make her that way. She just, I think she just lied about her behavior. I don't know. But I don't know if that. I mean, you never know. I mean, she could have been different at home and had all this stuff going on. And then Jean really was genuinely trying to help her. Either way, it's not the right way to but, go about it. yeah. It's just so sad. It is sad. To end on a little bit of a good note, they're trying to pass a law called Candace's Law which would prohibit the use of dangerous birth reenactments in Colorado and North Carolina. Man. Yeah, I know. I brought you way down. I think it's good to share stories like this, though. I just think it needs to be told. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I think that people choose not to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. And. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. Like, I didn't know if I was going to make it through those because I'm just picturing this little girl. And the way that you said that on the transcript, that's not the way it was said. We know that. She's probably in there screaming and begging. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. The whole throughout the whole transcript, it'll have, you know, in parentheses, screaming, moaning, screaming. It's, yeah. But I think it's good to cover that every now and then because it's a bit of a reality check, you know, mm-hmm. for people. And it also just brings awareness to situations like that that you don't even know were ever an issue. I know it's one that I wanted to tell, but I didn't want to tell. Yeah, but rip off the band-aid, get that out there. Yeah, I'm glad you did. It's sad and it the, sucks, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, the tragic rebirthing of Candace Tiara Elmore is what I want to call her. I agree. But yeah, Candace Newmaker, bless her heart. Yeah. She was okay. adorable. Aww. She was a cute little nugget. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll sorry to bring lighter you next down. time. Speaking of which... Since we brought you down so low today, we thought we would give you two episodes this week. Maybe something a little lighter, Mm -hmm. not so, you know, tragic. Something a little more just relatively dark. Yes. (laughs) 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 Yeah, just something on on the lighter side. Yep. But I hope this will bring awareness to all the quacks out there. Yeah. And hug your babies. Very tight. Uh, Even after that, I hope that, we hope that you keep listening. Yes. You can send thoughts on this case, case suggestions, personal stories to our email at relativelydarkpodcast at gmail.com. Please uh, follow us on Instagram. Yep. And the link to that is in our show notes as well. That and our email. We'll post pictures of little Candace and the other people. people. (laughs) Other people. But we hope you have a wonderful day. (laughs) Aside from that. (laughs) Aside from that, we hope the rest of your day is fantabulous. Until next time. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye. Come again. Bye. Come again. Bye. Bye. Oh, my. (laughs) 